thanks and giving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 is where we're at this morning. In the year 1621, the Plymouth colonists and Wapaganaw Indians shared an autumn feast. And it's acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations. For more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual colonies and states. It was not until 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be held each November. And as a nation, we set aside the last Thursday of November as a day of Thanksgiving. However, when we look at our passage this morning, we will find in verse 18, quote, in everything or in all circumstances, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is not an occasional act, but it is a lifestyle. It's intentional and spontaneous appreciation that leads us into the presence of God, empowers us to be grateful in all circumstances, and generates an overflow of generosity. Hence the title, as we give thanks, as we reflect upon God's goodness and faithfulness, it will lead us to give out of the abundance which he has blessed us with. Nancy Leigh DeMoss, a Christian radio host of Revive Our Hearts, an author, put it this way, quote, Thanksgiving really should be thanksgiving, a way of life, day in, day out, morning, noon, and night, continually, forever giving thanks to the Lord. Such a lifestyle we can see in Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2. It's good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Let me ask you a question. Has your daily routine, your schedule, activities overshadowed or squeezed out the practice of thanking God for his abundant gifts each day? Our praise muscles, if you will, can degenerate into complaining. Instead of reflecting on God's goodness and His faithfulness, we will draw on what is wrong, what is inconvenient, and what is hard. But just as complaining is contagious, so is gratitude. So I want you to recite with me Psalm 111, verse 1. It's up on the screen there. You ready? With me. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and the company of the upright and in the assembly. Now, for all you English majors, people can read grammar. There is a punctuation at the end of Lord. Exclamation point. So let's really read it the way it is written. Catch my drift? Let's go. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and the company of the upright and in the assembly. There you go. 
And we look at our text this morning, starting in verse 16. Rejoice always. Some translations render that, be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly, continually, or as the New Living Translations put it, never stop praying. In everything, give thanks, or in all circumstances, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's very important, that last phrase. This is God's will. This is not a human invention or human origin. This is God's will. It's a command that we should praise and give thanks to Him. Rejoice always, it says. It is commending joyful worship toward the one true God. The one to whom the church owes everything. And by the way, that Greek word translated rejoice is a present active imperative. It's a command. It implies a continuous or recurring activity. It should constantly or consistently characterize the Christian life. Now, if you look back in context with this verse, they're grumbling towards their leaders. They're impatient with the immature. And they had anger towards those who do wrong. But what he's telling them is, that must not tarnish the fellowship of the congregation. The church must not let its problems create an atmosphere of gloom or pessimism. Rather, an optimistic atmosphere of joy, thanks, and praise ought to characterize the assembly when believers gather together. That means we gather together, everything just kind of goes away. And we lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to the one true God to which we truly owe everything. You realize right now you couldn't be sitting there if it wasn't for God. You would not have life if it wasn't for God. Even the unjust owe their existence to God because He lets it rain on the just and the unjust. He takes care of His creation. Now joy is produced by the work of the Spirit in the believer. It is not self-centered. The believer rejoices with those who have good fortune. God blesses. Also rejoices when others are obedient to God. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The presence of good Christian company is a source of joy. As is our hope, future hope in the Lord. Paul could find cause for joy In almost every circumstance, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, one that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So he could rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. Now, think about this. It's human nature to think about on Monday morning about all the preaching happening around the United States. And sometimes you want to just focus on the negative. But think about this. How many churches this morning, someone is standing in the pulpit and the gospel is being proclaimed, and that we should rejoice. Because lives are going to be changed. Relationships are going to be healed. There's power in the gospel, and that we can rejoice. It says next to pray without ceasing, or constantly pray, continue to pray, or simply never stop praying. And once again, 
That word translated pray is a present active imperative. It's a command. Continuous or recurring activity. It should be consistently characterize the life of a believer. It also implies a worship approach to God. See, prayer has to be part of our spiritual disciplines that we do on our own. I hope you pray outside this place. Because prayer needs to be a vital part of our lives. That's how we talk to God and God talks to us. Don't be so busy praying your knees to God that you don't stop to pause to hear the voice back. I've said this before. It reminds me of a, an old movie with John Candy. He's watching his brother's kids. He has promised his fiancée, he's been promised he's going to marry her, and he'll be at work tomorrow, but he, he likes to bet on horses, do his other stuff, and his brother calls him, so he's calling her to tell her he can't make it to work, of course, she doesn't believe him. But here's my point. He's on the phone and tells her what's going on, and she just lights into him. And you can hear her on the phone, blah, blah, blah. he's going, but, but if you just, but, and she hangs up, and he goes, oh, he hangs up. Get, get one word in edgewise. I mention that because I wonder if our prayer life is like that sometimes. We're so busy telling God all these things that we're not taking Paul's out to hear his response. You've got to have a quiet time where you simply listen to the voice of God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 tells us to be anxious for nothing. Anybody, you got any worriers in the room? Anybody like to worry? I'm the only one. I highly doubt that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, take your cares and your worries to God. But then he gives this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension and understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can have thanksgiving knowing that God does listen. Would you like to speak to the president this afternoon of this country? How many would love to just sit there and talk to him for five minutes knowing you had the full attention of the president? How about your congressman or woman? How about the governor? As a believer, you have audience for the very one that let them in that office to begin with, and he will listen. He invites you in. Just come to me, and he will listen to you. And prayer should always be part of public worship. In private and in the public, we are to approach God with praise, intercession, and thanksgiving. There was a gentleman named William Walford. He was a blind lay preacher in the mid-19th century. There's a picture of him. He was blind. And uh, he would preach from the time in a small rural community there in England. And uh, he would memorize tons of scripture. If he couldn't read, he'd just memorize them as people read it to him. And he also made verses that he would compose in his head and put up in there and remember them. So when he had a friend come by, he could tell them what it was and they could write it down for him. Well, there was a gentleman from the United States that went and visited young William one time. 
And he was telling him about this lines of verse that he had composed. And so this gentleman's name was Thomas Salmon. And he was from New York. And uh, this is his story about what happened that day when he visited William. He repeated two or three pieces which he had composed. And having no friend at home, he committed them to paper. He laid up them up in the storehouse within, so he couldn't do it. So he said, how will this do? As he asked, he repeated the following lines with a complacent smile touched with some light lines of fear, lest he subjects himself to criticism. He goes on to say, I rapidly copied the lines with my pencil as he uttered them and sent them for insertion in the observer. He told the observer, if you think these words are worth preserving, publish them. And on September the 13th, 1845, they published the words. And here they are. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. He bids me at my father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and often escaped the tempter's snare by thy return. Sweet hour of prayer. This man was blind. He would commit huge passages to memory. In fact, it was said that a lot of the people he preached to would think that he memorized the entire Bible. The point being, he spent time in prayer, which led to him pinning those words, which we still sing today. And there's a picture of them. Prayer marked not only his private life, but also his public life. It goes on to say in our passage that in everything... Or in all circumstances, give thanks. And once again, guess what? Give thanks is a what? Present active imperative. It's a command. Continuous action. Reoccurring activity that needs to characterize our lives as believers. We are not to offer thanks to God only occasionally. Or only when great things are happening. Notice it tells us to give thanks for all circumstances. It does not tell us that, but it tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. There's evil, there's injustice, cruelty exists every day. But we can thank God for his presence. And he continues to work in our lives. Thank him for his understanding and his comfort. So we are to give thanks in all circumstances. What does that look like? So we... We hear a lot of good stories, right? Someone prays, someone's healed. But how about that person doesn't get that healing touch? How about the person doesn't get the job back? How about that person whose relationship is broken and cannot be repaired? How are they to give thanks? Are there any examples out there for us? Well, the first one I'd like to mention this morning is the story of Joseph, son of Jacob and Rachel. You can find his story in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. One thing that marks his life, though, is as I read some highlights of his life, as you read the story in Scripture, it will always tell us that he had the favor of God or the favor of God was with him. So God was always with this guy. But listen to what happens to him. He was a favorite son. He received the coat by his father. He would have these dreams or prophetic visions. And one day he had a vision that he would be ruling over his family, which his brothers did not like. Ten of them. So they decided to take him out, took him out of the ways while they're out there tending to the fields, threw him in a pit, they took his coat, 
took some goat's blood, smeared all over it. So they went back to their father. They told him he was killed. Meanwhile, he was sold into slavery to Egypt. A man named Potiphar purchased him and he went to work in his house. Got the trust of Potiphar. Became a supervisor in his house. Now Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a good looking guy. Constantly asking him to have relations with her. And Joseph, no, I can't do that. One time she grabbed him by his garment and ended up ripping. And she told her husband, look, here's this garment he tried. Potiphar believed his wife had him thrown in prison. Now, while he was in prison, he would interpret some prisoners' dreams. Two of these people were later released. One of them went back to his position of being cupbearer for the king. And the king was having these troubling dreams, and this guy remembered Joseph, so they called Joseph. Joseph came and told the king about what was happening in his dream. Joseph predicted seven years of harvest followed by seven years of famine. And he advised the king to start preparing, which the king did. For his wisdom, Joseph was made a ruler in Egypt, second only to the king. Now, I just covered a lot of history very briefly. But you can see his life was marked by a lot of calamity. Now, his brothers eventually would come to Egypt where Joseph was because there was a great famine in the land. They had nothing to eat, so they came to Egypt trying to get something to eat. And they walk upon up on their brother, but they didn't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognized them. Now think about what happened to him, what they did to him. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 and following, this is what he says to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to him. Here's a guy who told his brothers, you did it. You meant evil for me, but God used that situation for good. Now, I don't know about you. If I'd been Joseph, I would have been a little ticked off at my brothers for starting this whole thing going. How could you do that to me? But Joseph doesn't does it, does he? Here's a guy that had a bunch of calamity in his life, but he still gave thanks for his situation. Now, one thing I must make clear, that throughout the entire story, you will see that he had the favor of God with him. So he was being obedient to God through this whole thing. A second example, I don't know if you've heard of these two individuals, Corey and Betsy Timboom. There's a picture of them, her and her sister's. Uh, she was taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. Now, during that time, before they were taken away, they were active in the Dutch resistance. And they were risking their lives uh, harboring those hunted by the Gestapo. And some would come and stay a few hours. Some would stay overnight as they looked for another safe place to go. Corey became a leader in the movement, and she oversaw a network of safe houses in the country. It has been estimated that 800 Jews were saved during this time because of their action. But on February the 28th, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis, and they took her family away into concentration camps. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were assigned to some barracks. You'll see a picture of that in a moment. And it's very... Uh, 
have to notice or say this, that those barracks are very cramped, overcrowded, and had a huge infection of fleas. Terrible. Now, miraculously, they had gotten a Bible into the barracks. And during their Bible study time, they came across this passage about giving thanks in all things. And Betsy, Corey's sister, said, no, we should thank God for everything, including the fleas. Corey said, I can't have none of that. Eventually, her sister kept on, and she said, okay, I'll do it. So they, they were thanking God for everything, even the fleas. Well, during this whole time, something strange was going on. The guards would never come into their barracks. Not once. So you understand something was going on here. In the middle of a Nazi concentration camp during World War II, none of the guards would come in, so none of the women got assaulted, uh, assaulted, but they were able to have open Bible study and prayer right there in the barracks, smack in the middle of a Nazi concentration camp. And, of course, a lot of women came to faith through Christ during this time. They never understood why the guards would never come in to the barracks. It was only at the end of the war they found out why. You know why they never came in? Because of the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances. They understood that. Thanking God for the fleas. And as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are not immune to the trials, the pains, and the sufferings, difficulties of this life. In fact, it can be brutal. Rough, vicious at times. However, through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we can give thanks. And here's some reasons why we can give thanks. First, God is always with us, even in the dark times. See, I can face tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow in his hand. He's already there. And he's walking with me now. And Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 tells us the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. No matter what you're going through right now, God is with you. And he goes ahead of you. See, giving thanks is an act of faith because we're choosing to walk by faith, knowing God is with us. He walks ahead of us, so we're walking by faith, not by sight. And we have to look beyond our circumstances to look at the Lord Jesus. You know what strikes me? Many things strike me about our Lord. But you ever stop and thought about this? He never asks us to do anything he's not willing to do himself. Think about it. He came to earth. He took on human flesh. He lived among us. He hurt. He cried. He felt hunger. He felt pain. His best friend denied him three times. He was crucified. The most gruesome way to die in those I mean, it's a horrible way to die. Between two thieves. But that's not the end of the story, though, is it? He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin, death in the grave. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you know what's going on right now? Here I am walking in my, in, in, in my life and this path before me. I know he's faithful because I can look behind me and see all the places where he's been helping me, guiding me, carrying me. As I look forward, I can see Jesus say, come on, Tim. I've made it. I blazed the trail for you. I'm there with you. Come on. 
Keep your eyes on me. And on every side of me, I have the enemy pulling at me every which way. Hey, look here. Get distracted here. Get distracted there. Get distracted. No, Tim, say focused on me. Focus on Jesus. Not in our circumstances. Second reason we can give thanks in our circumstances because Jesus understands what you're going through. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He's walked a mile in your shoes. He's been hungry. He's hurt. He's he's felt all the emotions you can feel. He knows what it's like. He's been there. He understands it. He sympathizes with us. But see, when he walked this earth, he did it without any sin, which makes his sacrifice perfect and acceptable to God the Father to pay our sin. Therefore, we can have his righteousness imputed on us and we have forgiveness. That is the gospel message. You know, some years ago, a long time ago, back in the 90s, American Airlines had this thing called a mile in my shoes, really is what it was called. And we could swap places with other employees. Now, I couldn't be a pilot. I don't, I don't have a pilot, so I couldn't do that. But I could switch places with a gate agent. And that gate agent could place races with me downstairs loading bags. And the idea was that we could get things done better at the company because then we have a better understanding of what each group goes through. You follow? So now she realizes what it's like to be downstairs with 120 degrees outside, loading five, 6,000 pounds of bags. And I can stand what it's like being upstairs in air conditioning, but everybody and their brother yelling at you for something you have no control over. Some mutual understanding going on. That's what Jesus did. He, he walked with us. And you realize not one miracle he did was for himself. Always for somebody else. He went through tremendous pain and suffering. He understands what you're experiencing and how you feel. Finally, the Holy Spirit in us comforts us, encourages us, and strengthens us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Comforts us in all our affliction so that we're able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us by his presence. You remember that back in Philippians I read? With thanksgiving, let your requests be known by God and the peace of God that passes all comprehension or all understanding. I've experienced that. When my, when my flesh and my body and everything I know is saying, Tim, you should just be freaking out right now. I can't believe this happening. There's still that calm assurance that, hey, everything is going to be okay. I am with you, Tim. I'll never leave you. And not I forsake you. Look back, Tim. Was there ever a time that I left you or forsook you? No, Father, you never have. That's how we can face the future. And I know right now, many of us in this room are concerned about our country, concerned about what's happening politically. I'm going to tell you, everything is going to be okay. Why? Because God is still on his throne. He's the one. Who's in complete sovereign control? The Holy Spirit will minister to you in the midst of loss and pain. God is with us and goes 
ahead of us and every danger and challenge we may face. Nothing can take our Lord by surprise or catch him off guard. You think God is up there going, I can't believe what's happening in the United States of America. What I'm going to do. No, he knows all it. And he's working all that out for good. He's working everything. See, we're limited. I want you to understand something. Can't do nothing about five minutes ago. It's gone. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. All we have is the present. And as my wife has told me numerous times, it's called the presence because that's exactly what it is, a present. That's all we have. But God sees a bigger picture. He sees all eternity. He sees your life here on earth from beginning to end in one shot. He gets it. He sees it. And he's working all this together. Can you look back on your life? And at the time, you didn't quite understand what was going on, but now you look back and go, aha. I see where God was working in my life. I get it now. Couldn't see it then. Before I gave my life to Christ, he placed two outspoken believers on my crew. Constantly witnessing to me if I liked it or not. But you know what? God used those two to get me where I'm at today. My mother spent many years praying for me. No doubt. Still does. No doubt about it. Or her prayers are answered. Don't ever stop. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. We should give thanks to the fact that we have a God who listens, who cares, who loves us more deeply and intimately than we can ever possibly imagine. He will never abandon those who trust in him alone and by us constantly on a regular basis reflect upon, ponder, think about his goodness and faithfulness is that thanks and that mode of thanksgiving and praise that leads us to giving. See, thanks is not an end to itself. Thanks leads us to give. I've received, everything I've received is a gift. My salvation is a gift. Why should I hoard it? I want to give it to somebody else. I didn't earn it here. You can have it too. God's blessed me with material things and food to eat. Hey, I'm not going to hog that here. You need some? Have some too. Has God withheld anything from us? Not even his own son. God has done everything he possibly can do. But we still have to make the choice. So with that, let's try something one more time in conclusion. Let's kind of, with all this we covered very briefly, let's look at Psalm 111 again. Look at that. Praise the Lord. Look at it. It says, with all my heart. With all my heart. You know, when we sing, but Tim, I can't sing. The Bible says you don't have to be in tune. It says make a joyful noise. But you know what he's interested in? He's interested in your heart. Nothing pleases him more than when one of his own 
sing with all their heart, all their being, thanksgiving and praise to him. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. So let's read that. Ready? Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. So from now on, when you come in this place, I want you to think of this verse. I want you to think about you giving all your heart to him. Very briefly, have you given your heart to him? Have you reached a place where you say, Lord, I want you in my life. I give you everything. Wash me and cleanse me. I want that free gift of salvation, Lord. He'll glad you're walking you in. He casts no one out. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've gone. You come to him, let him clean you up. He'll do it. I've seen it. He's done it in my life. I've seen it done all over. He'll do it. But you have to ask for it. Number two, what's holding you back? My prayer is so that this day will mark a difference in how we see Christmas. You ever wonder why Thanksgiving comes before Christmas? To reflect upon God's goodness and gracious. And then we talk about the greatest gift he's ever given us, his only son. And then after Christmas, what do we celebrate? A happy new year, a new beginning. What does Jesus give us? A new beginning. Can you see the progression of the holidays? Or holy days is what it really means. What's holding you back? Oh, it's great to get stuff for Christmas. Don't misunderstand me. But what more, how much more the gift of salvation? Everything else fails and pales in comparison. What's keeping you back? Are you keeping some of it back? You can trust him. He's trustworthy. He loves you. And right now he's speaking to you. Are you going to respond? Maybe you come for salvation. Maybe he's leading you to join us here at this local body. Perhaps you need to grab somebody and pray where you're at. Perhaps you need to come up here and pray. Whatever you need to do, please do it. We got plenty of food over there. We can eat. We can celebrate. Right now is our time to do business with God. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for just who you are. For the way you lavish upon us all these good gifts. For the most precious one, your son. And Father, I pray that you would knock down any obstacle, any wall, or break any chain. So that we may serve you with all our Father, thank you for those gathered in this room and for the families they represent. Father, I beg of you, I plead with you, continue to reveal yourself to them, the God that I know you are. Let them know how much you love them and how much you care for them. We thank you for your word. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.